0: D20 Radio, your gamers roll.
1: www.d20radio.com. <laughs> roll
0: for initiative.
2: Roll for initiative podcast, issue number 39. I'm one of your hosts, DM Vincent, along with DM Jason. Hello. DM Nick. Howdy. And joining us by popular demand among the forums, DM Mike from the Save or Die podcast as part of the crossover podcast we'll be doing for promotion-wise. Mike, howla. Word. <laughs> <laughs> so we're 30 issues in now, and we're getting old. 39. I'm sorry, thirty-nine issues. Yeah, look, see how that's how old we are. I can't remember how many issues we got going. When did we become Volume Two in the issues? When we reboot or something? Or I wish I knew how that worked. Yeah, I never knew how that worked.
0: Usually, yeah. I thought it. Uh, Usually, it, was it comes a year another to vo- year volume. yeah, after a year.
2: So then we are in Volume yeah. Two now, because it's yeah. a new year, uh. isn't it? So Volume Two, Issue Number Thirty Nine. Sounds good. So what did we? Anybody do any gaming this week? I know Mike did. Yeah.
1: <laughs> wow. fascinating. Mike. I see why we brought you on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. Tell the story again. Yes. Fountain of Knowledge.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. There <laughs> we oh, go. Oh. oh, oh. Uh, I love that woo. ending,
3: don't you? Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, no, I played uh, in some of the actual play of Vince's game on Thursday. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Wait, Friday, we're... I ran my own first edition game. Woo. OB Skype. And Saturday, I went to a second edition game.
2: Boo. I mean, aw. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) That's wonderful. Super. Super. And Jason, what about you?
1: Well, let's see. A couple of big events that happened for me. One of them was, uh, well, the the one that's coming up, I'm going to be starting playing in a Rogue Trader game. So I'm looking forward to that. Warhammer
0: 40k Rogue Trader?
1: Yeah, yeah. Sweet! Yeah, so that's going to be a ton of fun. I've never played it before. Um, But the big gaming event that happened for me otherwise was that Ethan Gilsdorf, uh, the author of Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks, Mm, was doing a reading over uh, at a bookstore in Brooklyn. And uh, I don't know which one it was because I don't have it here. But anyways, I went over to that, and it was really fun. There was also... Uh, another author there reading his book I Was a Teenage Wookiee I think it was something like that, yeah. I, I uh, read was, that. You was know, all about Star Wars and stuff Yeah. And then uh, it was really fun He was at the reading he was giving out uh, D20s and, and minis for everybody who came So I've got like a ton of D20s now <clears throat> And uh, then we all went out afterwards um, You know went drinking a bit yeah. And uh, another guy Came out who was the the Head of the Tolkien Society In New England Wow. And, Whoa. Um, mm. Really fun conversation. We're going to have Ethan on the show soon. Uh, and that's let great. Good. Let him talk all about it. I'm about halfway through his book right now, and it is amazing. Oh. I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, his book is actually, it's a very personal narrative. It's a lot about uh, how he grew up and why he was gaming as a kid and how he got back into it and his kind of journey of both self-discovery and traveling the world to meet other geeks and just try to understand what the whole phenomenon is about from everybody's individual perspectives
0: so it's a little bit of like nostalgia recalling things but a little bit of what's going on today
1: yeah it's like a, it's like a coming of age story it's a you know introspection it's a road it's a road story and it's all centered around uh you know fantasy gaming and 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 novels and literature and a lot of D anD D stuff i'm just at the point right now where he was traveling to lake geneva to meet gary gygax for the first time and sadly arrived um right after his passing and it's a, it's a tough chapter to read it's it's really touching yeah. So uh, it's a great book. He's an amazing author, so I can't wait to have him on. And that was a lot of fun to meet him.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to read it myself.
3: What but, uh, about the... It was done in a positive point of view, right? I can't oh, talk about the number of books that tend to talk about, you know, an author talks about his gaming past, and it's always done in kind of a... Tongue-in-cheek kind of fashion. Yeah, or, you know, boy, I was such a geek then. Yeah, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. yeah and Yeah. It's just It's irritating. Yeah. And, you know,
1: I don't remember if it was in the book or if it was just during his talk that he was specifically kind of talking about his problem with people that write those kind of books for the same exact reason you just said. Yeah. You know, it's really good. He's really examining, you know, what was it that really spoke to him? personally about it and you know it's his rediscovery of his love of the game and of the genre and the literature and uh yeah it's a very positive thing i mean it really the hardest thing about it for me in reading this book is that every few pages i wanted to stop and make notes for my own darn book <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. just it makes you want to write your own it's great cool wow.
2: yes uh that'd be pretty cool yeah are we gonna get the uh, teenage woogie book too or no
1: uh, it didn't come in the mail with the Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks, but he did a bit of a reading. Uh, it's pretty cool, but it's really just about Star Wars. So, mm-hmm. so. I actually think what he ought to be doing is uh, we should point him over at the uh, uh, Order Six Order 66.
2: Yeah. Well, he should
1: really will. talk.
2: Definitely. Which is a wonderful podcast, part of the D20 Radio Network, which sponsors our show. Yes. Go check them out at D20Radio.com. So, Nick, what have you been doing in gaming?
0: Oh, I burned all my gaming books. All right, Nick. No, not really much this week, honestly. Uh, just doing a little work on more work on the new campaign. I think I talked about last time when we had our, our last get-together. But I think... We're going to have our next meeting maybe before Christmas. I'm not sure. Generally, December is a really iffy month for us getting together. So uh, we'll we'll try to sc- squeeze in one game session there. If not, we'll wait until after New Year's and we'll get in there. And we'll start the new campaign then. I'm really excited about it. So cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, th- and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to um, mm-hmm. be very adamant about journaling everything. So um Epic Words once it starts off I'll I'll have it online and I'll I'll journal their their progress as the campaign goes through. Nice. Epicwords dot com. Exactly on epicwords dot com, you betcha.
2: Wonderful site for that. Mm-hmm. And as far as i am gaming wise, uh the actual play podcast, which I did last Thursday, yep. or would be yeah, you know, a week ago, depending on when this goes out, where I almost wiped out the whole entire party with Yes with pumpkin headed Satyrs <laughs> that explode. Pumpkin headed satyrs? It was my own invention of monster. <laughs> they hated it.
3: Nice and their leader, the
2: great pumpkin. <laughs>
0: Well, that's what you guys call the leader of the Great Pumpkin, but (laughs) it was a big giant pumpkin I'm guessing he didn't leave presents for all the good girls and boys. No, he exploded and paralyzed the whole party at one point. Nice.
2: (laughs) It was my own invention monster that I had just cooked up that day. Excellent. And uh, I played in the, um, the Saturday Night Gaming Community group that is on our forums with Drama Man. Hmm. And he continued his quest with uh, go- Goblins All the Silver We Can Find, I think it's called, that module he was doing. It's pretty good. We had fun. Some cool. people didn't show up, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, you snooze, you lose. Yeah, nice. it's every Saturday from 7 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time
0: on and Skype. And that's a Skype game, right? Oh, yeah, okay, on
2: Skype. I might pop in and try that. Yeah, there's no commitment. You can come and go as you want, he said, because he'll NPC cool. the other characters. Okay,
0: Is you just bring like first level characters in? or well, No,
2: he has all pregens for you, you just show up, he says here's your oh. character, he sends it over in a little text file, and then that's it. Ah, cool, yeah, yeah I might try that out over the holidays, who knows? Oh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, Alright, so, Dick, mm, you're
0: yes? up. <laughs> you're up with some stars. Yeah, we got some uh people that just this past week got three people that uh gave us some a couple of five-star reviews and a four-star review and we would like to thank uh Robert Bowers uh and Man Shoot the Mage. Interesting name. <laughs> man Shoot the Mage. And Sogboige. I don't know how if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh want to thank you uh folks for uh sending in on go listen to us on itunes and uh you know giving us uh some feedback really appreciate it and any feedback that we get back on itunes or on the website or any place we greatly appreciate because you know without you folks listening you know it, you know you give us a lot of good ideas and we we try to do the best we can to try those bring those out uh, in our show so again thank you everybody
2: yes definitely thank you for your reviews Uh, Jason, we have some new articles up,
1: right? Uh, Yeah, so there's a couple of things. Um, I just want to make a reminder of one of the articles that's up there, which is actually just the article with our special insert that we did last week in lieu of a show. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the DM Challenge. So I won't repeat what the challenge is. You can go, Anybody who's listening can go back and listen to it. And we've had a couple of people call in already with some good answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, go there. We've set up a scenario and asked people, how would you referee the situation? And we're going to pick the best one or our favorite or whatever we pick um, and play it on the air. So
2: Yeah, I'll even sweeten the pot a little bit that the winner gets to get his own custom title in the forums, which we can do.
1: We can okay. give away a thousand Electrum pieces, too. That's good. Well, you've got the <laughs> Electrum pieces. You send them over.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> I don't have... I'm all out. And, and that's Gary Gygax's cool. like favorite
0: uh, uh, type
2: of uh, coinage, you know. Nice. And if you want to call in, the reminder, the number 570-865-4210, the RFI hotline, right, Nick? Hotline. Hotline.
1: Hotline. <laughs> And the other article that we've got up is uh, the latest Plus Two to Save uh, from Todd Hughes. And this one is very appropriate for this week's, some of the stuff we're talking about this week. Uh, It's called Somebody Save Me. And in it, he's talking about the idea of how do you handle situations that aren't covered in the rules, basically. Um, Mm. What do you do when you come up with something, for example, uh, he gives an example of somebody who's, paralyzed with fear by something horrifying that they're seeing. Do you save versus horror? You know, And he starts talking a little bit about uh, things like the non-weapon proficiencies that showed up in the Wilderness Survival Guide and uh, you know what he thinks of that. And I'll let you read to see what he thinks of that. Hmm, um, cool. So it's a really good article. It just uh, happens to fit very well in with our DM challenge and with some of what we're talking about later today. Um, cool. And then also, I just want to point out. Uh-oh. I've mentioned before that Todd has a new module coming out. Uh, he still does, and the only reason it's not out is me. I'm the one that's making it late. So, uh, yeah, I keep miscounting the number of hours in a day. And uh, twenty-three. This
2: is. Oh, sorry.
1: I thought it was forty-eight. Oh, okay. So, I'm going to send our OTug after you. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, anyways, um, it's a really good module, and I'm privileged to have read it ahead of everybody because i'm sitting here editing it uh but it's awesome and i can't wait to to release that soon soon i swear and that's going to be
2: a special uh download for the uh people who have the iphone app right
1: uh yeah we'll have we'll have a pdf just for them i mean we're talking about how we might make it available in print and all those kind of things We'll i'll let you know when we know more
2: okay sounds like a plan And, oh, yeah, there's an article on the Deck of Many Dooms. I think that's by Buzz, PC Buzz.
1: Yeah, didn't we talk about that last time? It was up before.
2: Was it? Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, that article was up uh, for the last show. But it's a great (laughs) article, so people should go and uh, leave a few comments on it. Let them know what you think.
0: Not a problem. We have a plethora of articles.
1: Yes. That's how many I counted, anyways, one plethora. One plethora.
0: What exactly
2: is a plethora? No, I'm kidding. Uh,
3: hey, hey,
1: hey, 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 It's a family
3: show. Yeah, I know. Let's... I had plethora once, got a shot, cleared it right up. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. All right. So let's uh, head over to uh, Sage Advice.
2: Sage Advice.
1: Okay, welcome to Sage Advice. So, of course, if you have uh, any Sage Advice that you'd like to ask, you can always give us a call on our hotline. Hotline. And that number is 5708-6542-10. All right, so let's start they didn't out. They sing. I know. All right. Sage Advice. Yeah, sage. sage Advice. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Let's see, where's the part where I edit things out on the fly? No! <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, first thing that we've got in the Sage Advice is always our favorite way to be reached. We've got a letter!
2: No, no, wow. he, mean, he means by a
1: real snail mail. Letter. Snail yes. mail. It came by air mail, actually. File uh, snail with a, mail? <laughs> it with came a, by uh, a carrier pigeon. With a Garfield and Odie stamp, so beat that. Oh, that's awesome. However, this mysterious writer with the Garfield and Odie stamp has no return address and goes by a pseudonym, I hope. All right, the so pseudonym. I'm going to uh, read this. First of all, it's it's on a huge piece of uh, tabloid size graph paper. Mm-hmm. And on the back, there is a map with a... Set of numbered rooms with 11 numbered rooms. Very mysterious because we don't know what is in those rooms. Uh, And there is an awful lot of pit traps on it. Uh, Nice. I don't see any hidden writing, so I'll just read what is visible. Okay. Good day, sirs of RFI. I hope to appear quiet and sly. (laughs) By writing in secret in colored pen, hoping twill reach your soundproof den. Twill. GFS is my name, a question I ask to players of this fine game. The men of AD&D are plentiful in power and fame, but answer me this. Is racism present against elves or dwarfs? Do men fear, as in medieval times, that which was stronger? Are other races evil to men's eyes? Perhaps my meaning is not clear." An elf walks into a tavern within a small human village. Will the elf be whispered about in corners and feared or ignored, just like another human there? I ask this for your opinions and thank you for your time. Grothus Fearsome Shadow. Hmm.
3: Hmm.
2: The Shadow?
1: Different shadow. shadow. This it's is not shadow. the shadow who wrote in from before, <laughs> unless he's moving around the country, changing his handwriting and things like that. Maybe he's writing. The other candy. shadow. The, yeah. uh, the
2: other shadow. I think other. it's a shadow clan. Yeah, maybe
1: there could be a, a, a rival shadow faction.
2: Could be, like a ninja faction. Yeah.
1: So he's got and a good then... question. He or she actually. Uh, I... Yeah, it could be a she-groth. Um, Would humans be racist against elves, dwarves, and other types of folks in the game? Are they going to just treat them like other humans, or is there going to be problems? What do you you guys think?
2: Well, I mean, if you're going by the book, yeah, there are some racial hatreds in the book, but I don't know anyone really that plays with them anymore.
1: (laughs) Uh, Do you play with them? Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. You've got the racial preferences table, and uh, you know, I've definitely gone to it when it comes to rolling up uh, you know, in an encounter and somebody's trying to convince the other uh, party that they're dealing with uh, to do something, I'll add in uh, a little bit of a role. Yeah. I, so but I, uh, I think you got to take it on a country. By, I mean, I think yeah. if you're building a whole campaign world, you can have it be different in different places, right?
2: Well, yeah, if you're going to have a whole human-based, humor cell, a human-centric kind of campaign –
0: Humanist and Turkey, yeah. yeah
2: Humanist campaign. You're gonna want to, yeah, definitely. Like when an elf walks into a town, people would be like, "Look at that guy over there.
0: <laughs> look at that Nick. Hey, I don't have <laughs> pointy
2: ears." Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, people I'm are gonna whisper. Too happy to be an elf. <laughs>
3: definitely. I, I, that's what I would do, Mike. What about you? <laughs> I'd say it's a campaign issue. I mean, the tables in the DMG. That's kind of. I would take that as for baseline D&D, which I would consider Greyhawk. But, I mean, it would really depend on the campaign world. Yeah. I mean, in my campaign world, I try to play that, but actually half elves get more grief than elves do. And, again, I see that as a role-playing issue to try to off-balance the racial advantages of some of the demihumans. It's like, okay, you can do that, but... Unless you're in your races area, expect to get the hairy eyeball.
1: I like the idea of the uh, the half races, you know, the half elves and the half orcs, mm. uh, you know, being in a situation where they're being kind of shunned by both groups. And so you end up getting these rangers coming out of there, you know, getting loners, obviously not mm-hmm. ranger, half orcs, but, you know, you get real loner types and it can add a lot to the way that you role play that character if you're doing it as a PC.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how I play it, too. I mean, I, I guess I borrow a little bit, at least from my own knowledge, like reading Tolkien, how there's always been some friction between the dwarves and elves, and the humans are kind of seen as an upstart kind of young race. You know, they're the mm-hmm. and uh, always I always kind I, of I also,
3: wondered about that.
0: Yeah. I, about I what?
3: Well, dwarves and elves hate each other, yet one of the big things that causes... You know, groups of people to dislike each other is competition for resources, mm-hmm. right? And dwarves and elves really don't compete for the same resources.
0: If I remember correctly, it was more about an alliance they had in the past. And but um, I do yeah. play up a little bit on the difference. You know, the, the the dwarves and elves and how they just kind of don't get along just because of their how their attitudes in general, ra- uh, about the races, don't tend to mix very well. Um, halflings? Uh, I don't know. It, halflings are just
1: kind of there. <laughs> but, I, I mean... The, the two sources that I kind of automatically go to in my head when I'm thinking about different species or races, races or whatever in a fantasy game yeah. are the Terry Pratchett Discworld series yeah. and mm-hmm. Star Trek. <laughs> because they know they're both really good models for it because in both cases you don't have a single standard way i mean star trek you've got lots of great examples of you know if you just want to think about how to role play when something's going on throw some ferengi and some klingons in a room and you know just replace you know put those in your head while you're thinking about it and you can if you're lazy just pull out uh, lines from a show or something uh, but what i really like is in the disc world does it do any of you guys read those books I haven't in a long time. Yeah. Okay, no. so, you know, uh, they've got, like, Überwald, where all of the uh, the undead and the werewolves and the vampires and everything come from, and you've got the, you know, where the dwarves come from in the mountains, and you go to those places, and if you're in those kind of old country places, you run into a lot of xenophobia, and they don't get along well with the outsiders, but then you go into a city like, like Ankh-Morpork, yeah. and... You've got some racial tensions that come up, but then you also have these situations like the city watch, like the Night Watch, where right. you've got trolls and or, or not not orcs. There's no orcs in it, but you've got trolls and dwarves and ev- and humans and everything else, and they just kind of have to get along. Yeah, and it, it's it's like it's it's not as much fun when they're getting along if you don't have some of the old country where they're still fighting. So that makes it kind of right. more fun to me.
0: Hmm. And I think what. Uh, like you're talking about like half Elves and Half-Orcs, I think everybody does kind of play those races as they're somewhere in between. They don't belong to any one particular place, so they they're 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 on the fringe. And they and like half elves, why there's it seems like so many people play half elf rangers or mm-hmm. or uh, <laughs> Or a half orc, like uh, halfling thieves. <laughs> yeah, you know yep. they're on, they're on their fringes, and that's the best way they can get a go around in the world. You know, in the larger world, I guess how they found their niche. I mean, so, you've it makes obviously a good
1: rationale. Yeah, you've obviously got to come up with some uh, rationale for why a adventuring party might have all these different races in mm-hmm. it. So you can't <laughs> just have them in constant animosity. Oh no, no, of
0: course not. I mean, for the greater good of the of the adventuring party they they put their differences aside. I mean, it's like, well, I give you a real world example. It's like being a, in a platoon of guys in the army. I know all these different guys of you know different backgrounds and and different races too, and you all have to learn to live together, and you all have but to the, work together and everybody military has to is together
3: yeah, but the military is the structure that holds them together. It's a lot yeah. harder than an adventuring party. That's
1: true. I think at the adventuring party, you you have necessarily unique characters. They're not going to be average or normal. So add that into the mix. If you're in a world where uh, dwarves are treated particularly bad, maybe this is the one dwarf and this is the one uh, elf that said, forget that. We're hanging out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you could have
3: that. Absolutely. The Gimli Legolas kind of thing. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly.
1: All right. Well, uh, all right. Well, we beat that one. So let's uh, let's go <laughs> to the next. <laughs>
2: uh, what's the address, uh, Jason? So they can so someone else could write in.
1: What's that? Oh, and there's an address. The physical uh, address. You can write to Roll for Initiative, two hundred East Tenth Street, number five eleven,
2: mm-hmm.
1: New York, New York, one triple zero three.
2: Yes, and don't go to that address because you really won't find anything but a
1: box. Uh, Exploding box.
2: Exploding box, that's correct. But Jason was right. a switch so, laughing.
1: Exploding, um, exploding runes. runes. Yes. <laughs> I, pre- I prepared explosive runes this morning. <laughs> 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 nice. My favorite order of the stick joke. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Then I got one more here, and that is from Philip T. This is an email. And he asks, Monster Manual 2... Makes mention of the plane of time. What is this? This is the only reference I've ever seen to it. Any ideas? I'm interested in hearing more on this. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I tell. <don't know. laughs> I, I, you know, I looked all through the uh, the manual of the planes, and I couldn't find anything there. I might have overlooked it. Uh, how would that even work? What, what would a plane of time be, you guys?
0: I imagine a completely flat, uh, featureless plane, and everything is on a, you know, look, looks like it's all gridded. I don't know why. I picture like a giant grid so
1: paper. Have you been getting ready for Tron or something? <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs>
0: Tron Yeah, coming. but I want to see the new film.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know.
0: Plane of time? I don't know. Uh, Tom Baker hangs out there in his TARDIS? What? Uh-huh, well, ah,
1: Doctor Who reference! There it is, is a time lord. There is a time lord in issue number sixty-five of Dragon Magazine. Aha! Uh-huh. That is an NPC class that somebody wrote up. So,
2: uh,
0: there you go, Vince. Shut up, Mike. <laughs> 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 what were we betting on? No, uh, if, no uh, Doctor Who references. Uh, he, they keep hitting me
2: with Doctor Who references on Save or Die all the time and torture me with it. So,
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, but a coinky dink. <laughs> well. I mean, if i'm trying to envision the plane of time it would be one in where the obviously we're talking about time as a dimension something you can move through so you'd have to have a plane where the three physical dimensions are somehow have have uh, that additional dimension so you i guess maybe hold them still you know, and you'd be moving back and forth through you know think of it, it as like sort of a big tunnel uh, you know, that you'd be moving back and forth through within there. But I can't even begin to imagine how to roleplay that. And I, I got a good example. I, I'm not, I got a good example. If my players tried to go there, I'd come up with some way that it doesn't work.
2: Think of, remember Star Trek Generations when they had the Nexus?
1: No, I never saw that. Oh,
2: okay. Well, it was, it, was, it was kind of like this thing that you can go into, you can go to any period of time of your life just by thinking about it.
0: And you, oh the, yeah, the whole Nexus okay, like on, Star yeah, on Star Trek Generations, yeah, the movie, Let's, the Nexus, it was, yeah, called. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a, a they plane. They sort of killed Kirk. Yeah, where well they? Yeah.
2: Oh my god! Uh, and he died. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You could pretty much go wherever you want, anytime, no matter what, just by thinking about it. So maybe that that's,
1: would be trippy. Yeah. Maybe you mm. could use the plane of time as some sort of uh, stand-in for how time travel works in the game. You know, just say that's where you go through when the time travel occurs. Physical things stand still, except for when you're, you know, moving through time. So it's kind of like rewinding. You're running the little scrub knob on, a, on the editing deck, on a video editing yeah. deck. Maybe you well, do do it like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's funny because you're mentioning, like, traveling through time. I don't know. I remember in the, that, uh, that book, the, the Manual of the Planes, Yeah. Mm-hmm. if you look up Astral Plane,
1: Oh, yeah, that there's a
0: huge time distortion between the prime material and the astral plane. Huge.
1: That confused (laughs) me so bad for a while.
0: Yeah, you can hang out there for a day and like decades pass on the prime material.
1: Well, what I finally figured out was that the main idea behind that was to maybe put something there as a way of keeping it in stasis. So mm. it's not so much about going and doing too much adventuring on the astral plane and coming back and having it be years later, so much as it is, is from a game term, it's a convenient way to maybe put a character into the astral plane so that they don't die from poison or something.
0: Well, I got a question about the plane of time. Is there an anti-time plane? Since there's time, is there an
1: anti-time? Well, that's like saying there's... With is well, there anti width? There's
0: there's there's positive ma- negative material uh, uh, planes. I,
1: I, I it would be hard enough for me to put a plane of time
0: into. My I know it be I, I I don't know how I'd do it either. It, it's well, here's a there's thing. not a so counter. in other words <laughs> to our to
1: our listener make it up. Yeah.
2: <laughs> or if Jeff yeah. Grubb is listening, write in.
1: Yeah. You know <laughs> what, Philip T. Write, write a good description of the plane of time, and we will consider it canon. <gasps> There you go. <laughs> Jason <laughs> making cannon. Uh-oh. I can't make cannon. No. But we'll, we'll we'll read it on the air. Yeah.
0: I shot a cannon.
3: Nice Nick. As cannon as anything in Dragon Magazine
1: was. Yes. There you go. There you go. Excellent.
2: <laughs> we are like the Dragon Magazine of our time.
1: Oh, Kim Mohan is going to have words with us. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, probably.
1: (laughs) Actually, I wish he would. Kim Mohan, come on our show. He doesn't (laughs) even
0: play anymore. He doesn't even deal with anything with the industry, as far as I know. It's funny. I just friended him on
2: Facebook the other day, too. Oh, cool. So I'll ask him to come on the show. Kim Mohan, come
1: on our show. Yeah. Hi, Kim. All
2: right. All right. So the next letter comes, email, I should say, comes from John. Hi, John. He says, howdy, gents. I was wondering what your take on the wilderness survival guide or the dungeoneering survival guide was. Do you use any of this info in your campaigns? Do you find any value in the non-weapon proficiencies? No, they seem to be very rule-heavy and just want to get all. I just wanted to get all your takes on these books. Thanks, all. I am loving all your podcasts. Long live first edition!
1: Sorry. Well, you know, I mean, some I of us were going to give yeah. our takes in a later segment on this show today. Mm-hmm. I think.
2: Mm-hmm. So we're so not going to answer your email right now.
1: Yeah, well, I don't. I mean, I don't want to go into too much of, uh, of it because we are going to talk about the wilderness survival guide um, as we talk about swimming later. But uh, I, I think pick and choose if there's something in there that makes it easy. I treat them like Dragon magazines, basically. Yeah. You know, I'm not. I'm not opposed to the fact that they exist, and I can go to them if I need a help in trying to figure out how to resolve a situation. But I don't consider them AD and D rules in the sense that uh, I don't consider them first edition rules.
0: Mm-hmm. I I uh, have both the Wilderness and Dungeoneer Survival Guides, and honestly, they both came out I think in '86, which is you're kind of going on the. The Twilight of first edition AD&D here. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean I'll mean, i be honest, I got my Wilderness Survival Guides here, and it's like almost in perfect condition, which means my one of the least, <laughs> the least? used of my books. But you know what? No. I think I'm going to revisit these books. I'm going to look through them again and see what I think about them. I do recall the Dungeoneer Survival Guide has some excellent takes on the Underdark in general. And I think it would be a real good reference for that if you want to um, create a complete Underdark campaign setting for yourself. I think it has some pretty good guidelines in there for you. So, overall, I think they're an okay reference. But like, like
1: Jason said, you know, pick and choose, you know. Use what you I, want. Well, first of all, it's, it's, I don't know why, but I just hate the word Underdark. Really? I don't yeah. know why that How is. How Netherdeep? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It it kind of feels to me like words like cell swords, and it just feels like some kind of computer game word. Hey, probably, that's the
0: name of my group, the Burning River
1: Cell Swords. I know sword. it is, but cell sounds like a a computery thing to me. I don't know why, because but um, 1986, so it's post Gary gygax and I didn't realize, but Kim Mohan did write the Wilderness Survival Guide. Mm-hmm. Since I'm looking at it here, so that explains why I think of it as a Dragon magazine, I guess. Ah. Um, but yeah, it's great stuff. You can go to it. But if you, you you can see all of the beginnings of later editions of the game in here, where they start taking away from the DM's ability to uh, to adjudicate and starting to right. put a lot of mechanics around things that just kind of
0: rule on the fly stuff. It starts to disappear here.
1: There's a lot about them that feels like they were written because TSR needed to raise some funds.
0: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. yeah towards the
1: end, of the really
0: first. you think so?
1: yeah. <laughs> i mean i love the I love all the you know the the i, I love having the books they're actually pretty fun to read, yeah about so, mm-hmm. using them I <laughs>
2: will right, we'll talk about more about that later, so
1: yeah,
0: Nick, next one ah uh, yes, uh, our last one here in Sage advice is from uh renegade a renegade folk hero nice and a renegade folk hero talks about like adding certain types of flavor and ambiance to uh, to his or her game, and he says one way that I'd like to add flavor, uh, kind of tongue in cheek there, is by describing what the characters can eat in at the inn. It goes a long way to developing the character of the location, since these inns and taverns wouldn't have refrigeration, which makes perfect sense to me, they'd only have a couple of things on the menu. What's new today, whatever they made from yesterday's leftovers. Players get a very different impression from the Frontier Inn that serves venison steak or spicy rabbit stew, the Country Inn with porridge and bacon or cheese, and sausage, or the Port Town with seared halibut or fish soup. So, that's pretty cool ideas there, Renegade Folk Hero. Mm. I mean... What do you think? Do you add those little kind of things into your campaign, just like, mm. like uh, you know, what's on the menu? That kind of gives an idea of of, of place of setting. Uh, I'm so hungry guys? right
1: now. <laughs> 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 I want rabbits, a cheese, too. and I want a cheese and sausage pie, mm. or whatever. Actually, I can have one. There's a there's a place right up here called Myers of Keswick that has exactly that. I'll see you guys later. Yeah, yeah, okay. J- Jason, get back here. <laughs> I, you know Inns? what? That's probably why I don't mention these things in the game, because I get too hungry.
2: <laughs> I don't really go into that much detail with the ins as far as that is concerned. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I should. Sounds fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I do it from time to time. Uh, I just... I, I'm lucky enough I have, like, a little list of, like, of things that are already built. Like, I'm, I am GM Hackmaster, but you can use it for fresh Edition or any other edition. Is uh, I know on the uh, GM screen there's, like, a list of, like, I think all different foods that you can have at an in and you can randomly roll them up or just pick and choose right there. So, yeah, I mean, whatever makes sense. I mean, yeah. So, How about you, mate?
1: Yeah, um, Mike? Yeah, Mike. Come times, on, Mike, speak up. Yeah, at,
3: I can't get a word in edgewise. Um, at times I do, not for every single tavern they ever visit, unless a character specifically asks. But yeah, I mean, mentioning some of those things, especially when it makes it different from a meal we eat today. For instance, I think as he pointed out in his letter... Most breakfasts were last night's leftovers. They weren't egg, generally eggs, bacon, and pancakes, and you know, Waffle House stuff. Ooh, right. I like Waffle House. Um, mm-hmm. Waffle. House. On the other hand, mm, yeah, that, right. that that list you were mentioning, Nick, sounds uh, potentially useful. But what if you like you know, roll up salmon in in a desert oasis or something? I mean, imported. There you go. <laughs> it. yes. Yeah. Oh, good way to, you know, relieve your PCs of their cash, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's
0: right, and that will be very expensive. <laughs> but it, it, I think it's really cool. It adds a little bit of ambiance to the game. So, you know, if you can work those sorts of things. And, I mean, like some general things, like they're saying, for, like, breakfast is yesterday's leftovers and maybe may made in some sort of uh, pie or a pastry. Mm-hmm. Uh, porridge would be rather common you know something like cream of wheat or oatmeal yeah those uh, temperate areas yeah yeah uh for like lunches i i would envision things like uh maybe a, a lot of uh of of cured meats sausages cheeses and for for you know if you're talking for like a heavier fare during your dinner hours, you're probably talking things like venison or whatever is the closest type of big game uh, uh, that you can get or whatever livestock might be available in the area. Or if well, you're in a seaport he, town, you know like seafood, I
1: hmm. mean if you're playing a medieval type of campaign, wouldn't uh, there be a lot less meat? Than that available that was always kind of my understanding is that it was um, more of a, it was more of a you know two or three times a week kind of thing.
0: Your average uh, peasant
3: didn't get um didn't get meat very often at all.
0: Not often maybe and if they did they uh from my recollections if you're talking peasants they would try to stretch it out as much as they could. They would probably put the meat in a stew Or some sort of soup because one, you can, um, it'll it'll stretch to the week longer, and two, it'll preserve it longer if it's mixed in with other things and if you're lucky enough to have salt, because most of those meats are going to be cured anyway. Um, So
1: yeah, turnips and cabbages, turnips and cabbages,
0: lots of tubers, yeah, lots of tubers, Uh, cabbages, turnips, radishes. So
3: conversely, most of the adventuring PCs would be of a different class
0: from a sure. They'd be more well-to-do. Absolutely, yeah. They'd be a little bit better off than your average peasant or serf. So yeah, at least high enough open. to be allowed to travel from place to
3: place. Right.
0: But depending on what region you go to, it depends on the wealth of the of the region. If you're going to go into a relatively, you know. Uh, uh, a, a, a village that's relatively uh, less on the well-to-do, you're probably going to find a lot more things like, you know, cabbage stew or, or beet soup or, you know, uh, lots of barley. Uh, so there you
1: go. Products. In in game terms, in taking this into game terms, there's one way for your PCs to gain the trust and admiration of the local townsfolk by bringing them some better food than they're used to eating.
0: Yeah, you know what? That would be a good role-playing uh, situation. Absolutely.
1: And hope Not that you monsters, didn't mess though. up. Not mon- don't bring them. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I've- I brought you some umber hulk stew. <laughs> uh, crack them yeah, open. Or- the inside's good eating. Don't or- bring, <laughs> don't bring meat that's gone spoiled because then you know there's another role playing opportunity. You've just caused three of the peasants to get food poisoning.
0: <laughs> or you could just totally go against that and have a cleric with great food and water, and there you go. Ah,
3: oh, nice. but that doesn't mean good food.
0: Yeah, that's right.
3: True. I mean. You know, basically creating something that may be nutritious but hardly
0: Hard enjoyable.
1: Yeah. Like the uh, what was it called? The neutromatic on the Hitch on the Heart of Gold.
0: Ah, uh, yes. yeah. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> um,
2: okay, I also got four emails to the email box telling us where they heard about the show because you had asked last time, Jason. Oh, nice. Uh, every one of them said found you on iTunes.
1: Very wow. cool. Well. Cool. That Thanks, was... iTunes. <laughs> Definitely. Most people said I they did just... notice that when I went and searched for Dungeons and Dragons on iTunes the other day that we came up uh, in the top results, so that was nice. Uh, one of
2: them actually said we were featured on the front page, and that's how we saw us.
1: Even better.
0: And that's how it should be.
2: That, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and actually, I have one question more. Uh, this is a late one from the show notes. Uh, Lon writes in and asks about training. Uh, And the cost of training, and he's wondering. uh, He he kind of finds it a nuisance because in the middle of a dungeon, when someone levels up, they had to race all the way back to town just so they could. uh,
1: That's right. Level
2: up. He said, "Is there a way you can get around this? I mean, is there something you can do?" And I basically I told him that what you could do is you can give them the hit points for leveling up, but everything else, wait until they get into town.
1: I wouldn't even give them the hit points. No. No way. That's kind of, that's part of the point of first edition is that leveling doesn't go pop, and it's just hey, I feel stronger. Well, you know, you gotta you gotta go go do your go do your training.
2: I would still give them the hit points at least. I mean, because that's like kind of a natural thing.
1: No, the hit points don't come from being stronger; they come from being better at dodging blows.
2: Well, I would think being out on the wilderness by yourself or a dungeon fighting that would consider you'd be doing the same thing as sitting standing in a training facility.
1: No, it's to me it's all it's all part of the <laughs> same package. You need to you want to level up, you go see your master, or your mentor, or your trainer or whatever method you have of doing it. Even if it's if you found a way to to train level up by yourself, you still have to put the time in. It's suddenly yeah, point point here on roll for initiative.
0: That's why
2: we <laughs> that's why roll for initiative is called crossfire. <laughs>
1: I mean, Mike, give me a a give me a, uh, an OD&D perspective on this. Well, I always got the feeling from first
3: edition. I, I don't use training because the idea of, you know, the barbarian having to go to barbarian school before he can <laughs> be a barbarian, it's kind of lame. But I understand. Right
1: down in the back, you. Yeah. yeah I, break that magic I was, item
3: now. I was, uh, I was, uh, fortunately able to talk to Gary Gygax about this uh uh-huh. um, when before his death one of the things that yeah. and 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 damage uh, damaged larger and smaller and man-sized creatures we <laughs> had to talk about but anyway you know he the way he put it is it was predominantly there to get rid of treasure yeah um fair and I could see that. I, I do think there is a value because it's not so bad in OD&D, but in 1E, it, it can be. Pretty soon, you've got characters walking around with
0: bags and bags and bags of gold. You got to do something <laughs> right. with it. It's like 1,500 gold pieces per level, right? And it's so like if you go up the third level, it'd be. Fifteen hundred times three, and that's how much your training cost is. Correct?
1: Is it the same for every class? Uh, it depends. I believe so. We, I thought it. I don't was. know. I don't use it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we were. We went over this in an
2: earlier podcast because uh, I remember I found it in the book, and Jason, you were like, "This is so cool! I should start using it." But mm-hmm. it all depends on how you grade the player.
1: So, oh, you're yeah. talking about you're talking about the grading of the player part. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: But that increases the price mm-hmm. for training. So, yeah. so it's not. It can't. It, it might not be the same thing for everybody. So.
3: A reasonable I mean, compromise I heard about doing this once was that you can still advance if you don't train, but you don't advance until you get the XP to be in the middle of the level rather yes. than at the beginning of the level. Yeah, actually, and I think if of, you had to use yeah. training, that would probably be a good way of doing it. Yeah, Because you don't have to, but it encourages the players to, to invest in
1: the training. I guess I kind of like it as, as a way of um grounding them back in whatever home base they have keeping their relationships going with people out with NPCs outside of the party to me it adds an extra layer of um kind of realism to the game if that's yeah. what you want to use
0: mm. yeah i've i've always used as a baseline gp value of 1500 gold you know per uh, level number of the uh of the uh, class that you're going up like, you know, a fifth level fighter, you know, five times 1500, whatever that would may be. And, uh, that's how many gold pieces that you need to spend when you go up to fifth level. So that's how I always did it. There was an article
3: in dragon 40, I think it was, uh, which basically gave a system that I try to use in my games, which is basically it, you get XP for monsters, but, You only get XP for treasure when you spend it. Mm -hmm. And I try to rationalize that into how, you know, to training. You don't get training per se, but you spend your money getting better stuff, better gear. You know, the inevitable Fawford and the Gray Mouser or Conan Wine, Women, and Song, Mm -hmm. so on (laughs) and so forth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that acts as a good gold sink. Yeah. Magic users invest in research equipment, blah, blah, blah.
2: Hmm.
3: I always preferred that to training, but yeah
2: you know. okay so if you have any questions or comments, uh, you can email us at whatnick <laughs> at whatnick <laughs> at whatnick dot <laughs> <At> what, <Nick. laughs> com or uh you tell them. I always forget. <laughs> RFistaff at gmail.com.
0: RFistaff at gmail.com. Okay. Or you can
2: call us at 570-865-4210, the hotline.
0: Hotline.
2: And during the show, we got another voicemail, as I just was watching it come in. So we've we got three people entering the contest now. Wow. Great. So give us a call Let us know what's going on Go to the website RFIPodcast.com Or go to Dragon's Foot Comment there in the forums We have a sub-forum We'd like to hear it from you And uh, let's head out of here Into uh, Table manners.
0: Typical
1: Of all the evil creatures in the world We'd
0: like to find one
1: with Table manners.
0: And What Are you kidding me? i spent years cultivating the worst Table manners on the planet Table manners. All right, uh, Table Manners this week, we're going to talk about um, water combat or underwater combat, how to do, how to fight when you're soaking wet, (laughs) Uh, or more broadly, maybe a little bit about waterboard adventures and underwater adventures, too. So, um... Waterboard adventures? (laughs) Waterborne. Oh, okay, Waterboard. Well, never know. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> so I guess a few references, anybody out here, uh, out there listening in RFI land uh, that you can draw upon is uh, you can go to the Dungeon Master's Guide, starting on page 53, talks about waterborne adventures, waterborne adventures, <laughs> and or the Wilderness Survival Guide. And I believe that starts on page 41 in there. So, um, I don't know what, anybody have some uh, tips on running water combat, Turn the uh, faucet water on. adventures, underwater adventures? Vince, you got anything? For underwater combat? Either underwater combat, you know. Well, one more
1: resource that you can go to, um, in going back to the Dragon magazines, if you can get a hold of uh, Dragon number 48, oh. uh, whether you're getting it through the, uh, the CD collection or if you can pick up a copy, there's a great section in there called Take the Plunge, Underwater Adventuring. <clears throat> and it's got a, a series of, uh, it's got a nice little dragon's bestiary of some good, creatures that you might encounter like water horse and sea demon and golden ammonite i can't pronounce it uh they got a bunch of undersea magic items in there and a lot of good talk and thinking about uh what is it why are there even villages near the ocean if there's all these underwater sea folk that can just come out and you know just rampage the the area how does that actually work out so there's a lot of good things to read in there as well Mm -hmm. cool okay um, but yeah, so taking the actual adjudicating of underwater adventures, and you've got a lot of different options. You can just go to the Dungeon Master's Guide, like you said. Start with what are some basic common sense rules, such as you can't swim if you've got armor on. Unless it's magical. Right, and even if it's magical, you're going to be encumbered. So the right. best you can do is dog paddle. <laughs> um and you know, there's in there. It's got the five percent chance of drowning per hour, and uh, all those things. And my favorite bit in the Dungeon Master's Guide is that a dagger can be carried between the teeth. <laughs> you read that too?
0: Yeah, I, it, that's total pirate right there. Yar. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's 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 very uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs.
2: Mm-hmm. You also um, have to take into know, account the fact if you jump in the water with your armor that it may rust.
1: Well, it's going to rust with you in it at the bottom of the ocean. Well, if you
2: say you, those people are like, "Aha!" I insist on going in the water. Fine, you start sinking. Say you mm-hmm. make your way out. Now, what about your armor? They may rust now from the seawater.
1: You know, I had something like this happen in our uh, Skype game. One of the players got caught up in a, you know, kind of a classic Indiana Jones type of trap that rushed him down a. A corridor, and shoved him out of a cliff, and threw him into a river. Mm-hmm. And he was wearing his chainmail at the time, well, well, and he needed mm-hmm. to get out of that chainmail because he couldn't swim to get to the edge. And we just used a uh, some kind of hastily uh, fudged not fudged um, um hastily decided uh, dexterity type checks. I think I made him do like a five d six dexterity for each step of getting out of the. Uh, chain mail, and had him having trouble breathing as it went on, and he managed to beat it enough to get out of the armor and uh, swim to shore, losing his armor in the process. Oh. But then if you go to the Wilderness Survival Guide, then all of a sudden you've got rules, and you've got you know more things about that. And this goes to what uh, that one listener asked earlier, right?
0: Um, yeah. yeah. The The value of the Wilderness and Dungeoneer Survival Guides, yeah.
1: So, Alright, so i got a question for you guys right off the bat. If you're going to use the Wilderness Survival Guide, uh, first mm-hmm. thing it says about swimming in there is, you've got to have the non-weapon proficiency swimming. Right. What do you, th- what do you think of that?
2: Well, I don't really use non-weapon proficiencies,
1: to be honest. So it's an issue for you. Yeah. <laughs> do you. Do you think that some PCs should be unable to swim? Hmm. Depending on their backgrounds.
2: Yeah. I would go with background. Yeah. Well, you have those background skills that you get from with well, the secondary skills. I think it is from the Dungeon Master mm-hmm. Guide, mm-hmm. and if, obviously if someone rolls up like fishing or maybe right. <laughs> harvesting from the water or whatever, you know those ones with the water. The, obviously, the person might know how to swim. If someone has like a yeah the sailor yeah. background. Obviously, is going to swim. But like a lumberjack, uh, I would say no. Or like Not a blacksmith, so. <laughs> no. You know,
0: well, I
1: mean, always there's no reason a blacksmith can't swim.
0: See, I've always, like, True. had in this idea that for some reason I never thought that dwarves were very good swimmers. I don't know why that is the case, but it, it, it dwarves well, as short. a race. Yeah, I, I, I always they're short that they're dense bodily. Their
3: body is dense mass. I would think it would seem... be very difficult for them to dog
0: paddle for any extended amount of time. Yeah, I've always pictured, pictured them as a race. Yeah, I always pictured them as a race as not very good swimmers. So,
1: Well, I mean, Michael Phelps looks more like what you'd think of as an elf than a dwarf, I guess. <laughs> True. Yeah, you know, if you're going with those things. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It probably doesn't say anywhere, but I think it makes perfect sense for you to decide in your game that a dwarf uh, might not be a good swimmer.
2: Yeah. Well, why don't you do it in the beginning of your campaign if you know you're going to have water combat in your campaign or whatever, or ship-to-ship combat Say when your players are making up characters, roll fifty per- roll percentile. Let's see if your character knew how to swim in his life, or something like that.
0: Yeah, or at least know how to dog paddle. For goodness' sake, well,
2: yeah, tread water, or whatever.
1: <laughs> that goes. Uh, it speaks well to the point of having your players come up with some backstory at the mm-hmm. beginning of the campaign. Well, yeah. yeah, and it could just be if you look through the backstory and it makes sense, like you said, for this character to know how to swim, then they can. And even if you're using the Wilderness Survival Guide and you're using the non-weapon proficiencies, making a player give up one of their proficiency slots for something that they could pretty reasonably just everybody in their town would know how to do doesn't make any sense. I'd give it to them even if I was using those. Yeah. If it made sense with their background. Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: So then, all right, so, so maybe you use proficiencies, maybe you don't. I don't like them either mm. uh the reason i just don't like them is because it starts turning it into a different type of a game and uh you know rope use really you need to roll for rope use <laughs> no just cheese making <laughs> cheese
3: making now that i important. have seen the cheese making You're like oh yeah that that's brilliant yeah
1: <laughs> but i'll tell you here's here's the thing where Final. i do like the wilderness survival guide for this um and that's the endurance issue because in the dungeon master's guide this idea that you've got a five percent chance of drowning per hour it doesn't even say that it's cumulative so i, I don't as much as you you're playing a hero and everything else the idea that your character is just going to be out there swimming for 20 hours without any increased chance of drowning is not common sense And if you're going to look for a way to to figure it, I think that endurance is a pretty good one. So it says in here that you've got your swimming endurance, which is your total number of experience levels plus your constitution score. And that's the number of turns that the player can swim for. I mean, that the character can swim for. But where do levels play into it?
3: Yeah. i got a Um, 20-level magic user, so
1: I'm awesome at swimming. Yeah, yeah, maybe that doesn't make as much sense. I mean, I, I get the idea that Um, maybe a character that's more experienced has built up their endurance to a point. I don't know. Maybe you, I I think a 20th level, anything should be better at things in general than a first level, anything. True. But plus 20. Um, Well, it's, it's an extra 10 minutes for every level. Yeah. True. I mean, you can cut it off at some point. You maybe maybe you cut it off at eighth level. Yeah, I've always just used their, three
0: extra hours. I've <laughs> always just used the uh, the player character's con as how long yeah. they could swim. You know, if you got a ten con, you could swim for ten turns.
1: Yeah, and that's plenty of time. I mean, that's, that's plenty a, of time. An hour and a half or something like that. If you're not out of the water by then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and the thing is, you don't start you don't start drowning right then anyway. So it actually says that you start having. Um, I forget where it is in here. But basically, you, you start having a chance of getting tired and drowning after you've reached your endurance level. And if you want to go really fast, it takes 90% off of your um, total endurance. So it, it's nice having that. I like having the, uh, the speeds that are actually explained in here because I didn't know how fast people should swim uh, before looking in here. And it basically drops down to, I think, what, like about you know a third of walking speed.
0: Well, now I'm gonna open up a big can of worms here, yeah, and we're talking about unencumbered, yeah, if or you're encumbered, swim. you're if not you're encumbered it's if you're you're gonna factor in things. Does this person have a backpack full of gold, carrying a pole arm and has a great helm on his head, and is wearing a scale mail? Hmm. that character's <laughs> drowning. That character is probably yeah he's walking on the bottom at best. So
1: yeah. so if he's got a, a a helm of underwater breathing is it a helm or a ring yeah. or whatever? It could be. Uh, yeah, walking on the bottom is as best as he's gonna do. Probably drowning is the worst he's gonna do.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: So I mean the that issue of dragon that I mentioned one thing. That one of those was really side good, effects
0: of drowning is death, from what I heard.
1: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> Um that is and and I I don't have CPR in my campaign. I don't know about you. No. Yeah, you do. Um, I've listened to your
2: campaign. You have something
1: similar to CPR though. Yeah, they did they did bind some wounds. Um it's dead. But but I He's dead Jim If you go back to that issue of Dragon (laughs) Magazine, uh, what was kind of cool is they were talking about, you know, what would like the Sawagin or however you pronounce it uh, actually be fighting? What would they actually be fighting with? Do they have metal? No, because it rusts. You know, so they're using a much more primitive, um, what do you call it, Uh, 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 technology. In, in, In this article, he says they're basically a sort of late Neolithic technology and it just gets to the whole thing of what they were trying to do in the article was say why the uh the sea folk who are so tough and vicious are not going to just overrun the people on the land and one reason is they don't carry a lot of stuff with them the most they're ever going to have them carrying is a net or a, a dagger or maybe some type of a spear or trident
0: right um good example on the Sahuagin because i did a few years back, I did that whole campaign, the uh, Salt Marsh series of modules, mm-hmm. which, on a side note, probably some of the best series ever done by TSRs, starting off a campaign by mm-hmm. far. And, um, you know, the Sahuagin is a good example of a race where they, that's how they're <laughs> pronounced, pronounced Sahuagin. There's two ways Sahuagin yeah. is also right. Yeah. Didn't Jeff sure. say it was Sahoygan? Yeah, he did. See, there Sahoygen? you go. What you can you do about that? Yeah. Sounds
2: very Yiddish. That's how Jeff said it was.
0: It's Sahoygan. <laughs> it's Sahoygan. It's, it's like Sheboygan, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Perfect. Sheboygan. Sahoygan. Okay.
1: Uh, so but, I just looked whoo. it up on Wikipedia, and I'm seeing Jimmy Wales again. How That's... about
0: we'll just call them fishmen? There we go. So the fish people. So the sea fish, devils. Sea devils. The fish guys. Sags. Uh, sags. <laughs> wow! Watch the wording. Hey, hey, hey! So uh, the sags were saying. So what I Screen How it was going. written in the in the module is like for example like the treasure that you would find, uh, you would find a lot of stuff that were um, obviously a lot of lot of gems, a uh, lot of uh, like uh, very rare kind of corals, seashells. Uh, also, uh, if you find any coinage, a lot of it was either gold, electrum, or silver. So not a lot of other coinage, I guess. Uh, well, and coins weapons. wouldn't
1: really be worth much to the, to the Seafolk.
0: Well, where are they sure, going to put them? But they know it's a value to people uh, on the land, and they can use they it. They can still
3: use time. it for decoration or jewelry or such.
0: Yeah, or, you know, yeah. Uh, they can, I don't know. And use it for trade for other races that deem it as valuable. Shiny. Sure, man. You know, humans them, like
3: it, so if we get a big pile of it, they'll come, and we got <laughs> lunch.
0: That yeah. means... I didn't say there was any logic. Well, I didn't say there was any good logic behind it, but, but yeah, like the weapons, obviously, you know, tridents, uh, some sort of... Uh, Spears, well, nothing, or javelins. Uh, yeah, and this entrance. is going to the Dungeon
1: Master's Guide. Nothing that you need to use to smash is going to work. The only yeah, thing. Yeah, no mass weapon. weapons. Right. Yeah. So Especially.
0: And specially, uh, uh constructed crossbows for underwater use. It's another. Yeah. One. How would that even work?
1: Like I a harpoon?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess the corals are more like a harpoon type. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that the crossbow. I mean, as much as I try to think about that, I don't know what type of material you're going to be able to make that keeps tensile strength when it's living permanently underwater. Bone. No, no, no. I'm talking like no, no, no. Uh, but the cord. I think right. he's talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Copper wire,
3: maybe.
1: See, I mean, it would, it would tarnish, in. but I just doesn't matter. You... Doesn't matter. And a crossbow <laughs> needs metal bar- parts to work properly.
0: No, no. It yeah, I
1: mean, sure. I mean, just fish like gut. like
0: fish cuts, Is that What you <laughs> fish said? You know what? It's irrelevant. Sorry, it's, it's thinking D&D. of the street. We're talking about we're talking about a game with fairies and dragons in yeah, it. Which one, so. Yeah, which Yeah,
1: but it doesn't get rid of the laws of physics. <laughs> yeah,
2: but you don't have to rationalize it. Just go with it.
1: No, yeah. car, no crossbows underwater. Fine. Well, Your game, okay. no t- I'm now. making the t shirt and I'm going to put that on the front and on the back. And it I, says, no extra weapons do not work underwater. Right. I, I got
3: to back up Jason on that. I, I just, it's got to have some sort of plausibility. Otherwise, you kind of leave something. Disconnecting
0: well, Mike uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really. There's magic. Though. Maybe it's magically enhanced. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, but right. that's valid. So maybe a spell of some kind. Yeah, that's a possibility. Maybe there's. Maintain I remember crossbow. in that. I remember in that.
1: Um, <laughs> Maintain crossbow.
0: <laughs> now I remember in the Salt Marsh series, for God. example, they to like preserve certain things like uh, scrolls and. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, what and things like. There's
1: book do underwater. Um,
0: there's like I I think it's even in DMG too that you know there's like special resins that you can coat paper. And other materials with that'll make it water resistant. Wax. Yeah, for a short amount of time, yeah. Yeah. So there are some like things for players and for GMs to throw in there too.
1: Bag of hole. Um, well, it least... comes down to what you want to have happen in your campaign. And in my right. campaign, I prefer to think of underwater as not being a place of advanced uh civilizations and technology, but a place where it's a very wilderness kind of thing and those those sea folk that are down there, <laughs> you know, they're they're living in a in a far less technological and civilized type of a world. Well, you're saying Atlantis
2: isn't civilized?
1: Well, I mean, we Atlantis is a real place. You can go there and you can check, obviously. Oh
2: okay. But, I go there all the time. Stop I talking oh, yeah. the
1: casino. Yeah,
2: I'm not talking <laughs> the casino, Jason. Yeah,
1: no, I, I'm I'm saying that Come I up, prefer of. in my campaign not to try to spend a lot of time twisting myself into logic puzzles, figuring out how to make a, a spell a spell book stay dry and a crossbow work underwater. I prefer to just say they're attacking with spears. They're 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 a very barbaric race.
0: Uh, see, I don't see that at all, because mm-hmm. I see a lot of aquatic races. Like, you have aquatic elves, you have the Kuotoa, you mm-hmm. have uh, the merfolk, are obviously highly advanced races that live in underwater, and they have adapted in ways. So I, I just think the argument's invalid. I think they would have found ways and means right. over many years of using uh, either magic and uh, innovation to make certain weapons and objects to be... Mm-hmm. Uh, modified to use in an under- underwater setting. So. Sea monkeys build castles. <laughs> oh,
3: for... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to side with Nick yes,
2: on Yes, the ever-powerful sea monkey race. <laughs> you know what? Fine. Mike, note this. Next actual play podcast, I'm going to have underwater pumpkin-headed satire- satires that yeah. shoot crossbows underwater now.
0: Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, you totally trumped my argument with the sea monkeys. You won it. Yeah. We'll the thing is,
1: <laughs> if you if you've got a bunch of if you got a bunch of people living in a fishing village by the by the by the ocean and you've got an advanced race of intelligent technological uh sea folk that are under there, the sea folk can come and attack and uh what's to keep them from just over over uh uh running over the others because the, the folks from the land can't really very well come and attack them down in the water, but the sea folk can basically keep them from getting to the fishing. They can knock their boats over. You need to have some balance and I think that comes from giving them less technology.
2: I disagree. That's a plausible argument. Yeah, I'm disagreeing on that too. Sorry.
0: Because the the equalizing factor is magic. Yeah. It's just magic. It's just magic. You tell that to the group of, like, uh, merfolk who come on wa- out of water on the land and get hit with a 20-dice fireball.
1: Sure, oh. yeah, on land, but if you can't get your ships into the sea to go fishing um, and you're a fishing village, what are you going to do? Call like adventurers. You. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Call the adventurers. Adventurers
0: have what? Magic. magic. Illusion.
2: Big, shiny weapons. That, too. That rust.
0: Yes. Or well, just invent <laughs> the first U-boat. I don't know. Anyway, um, let's move on before we, like, start throwing tridents at each other. Uh, <laughs> ship, <laughs> ship versus ship combat. So this is one I don't... I think I've only encountered maybe a couple of times in my whole gaming career. Once, that one very first AD&D RPG tournament I went to way back in 1980 what was that Nick <laughs> back when Reagan was president Ooh. Um, and I and I think with the Saltmarsh campaign there was a little bit of ship-to-ship mm. actually, ship, oh, yeah. to, ship, ship to ship combat actually ship to ship to running action ship to octopus attack let's put it that way <laughs> ship to rowboat action now there was a there was a ship versus an octopus and the thief got in a taffy pool. Not cute. <laughs> not, not, not good. Uh-huh. So, uh, Jason, what about ship-to-ship combat? Have you looked at I've this? I've never run Used it. it? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've never know, really was,
1: run it either. It's basically when you start getting the ship-to-ship combat, from, from what I've read in the rules, you're getting into a wargaming kind of uh, environment. and yeah. You, you are. Could, you could go with what's in there. There's probably... I've never played any uh, water-based war games, but, I mean, there must be as many different ways to run that as there are people yeah. who have wanted to run it. So yeah. anything you can come up with, you know, go for it. I, it I don't does look
0: up. like, in in the rules, like you're saying, it really goes back to those wargaming roots with hull points and...
3: Yeah. The, well, this kind of gets you know, to that. one of my degrees, but... Um, Unless you, you have a have, degree in war and sh- shipboard and combat, my PhD is in maritime history. Sweet, or will be whenever I get my, my dissertation finished. But anyway, <laughs> um, unless you're going to have a, a high magic campaign or cannons, most or virtually all ship to ship combat is going to be simply boarding actions.
0: Yeah, you're pretty much. Corvices, ropes, and it's going to be a melee. And with, at, the, with, at the most, any ship to ship is going to be ramming. <laughs> exactly.
3: And then yeah,
0: you have ramming, to deal yeah. with the posi- – because no ships, especially wooden
3: ships, don't sink immediately. No. It takes a while. And, of course, when you ram them, unless you can reverse and pull your ram out quick enough, you're, gonna you're going to have their crew on your ship.
0: <laughs> or you're going to go down with them too. <laughs>
1: that too, yes. So, so did ramming no. – was that actually a common tactic? Oh, Yes. Yeah.
0: The Greeks were really good at it. Mm-hmm. Especially when they ram you in and they, like, toss Greek fire onto your ship.
1: <laughs> okay, so there we go, you guys. <laughs> Greek fire and and the the big mirror that they tried to do in Mythbusters. Give me your take on those. Mm. The big mirror? The big um, I think, what was it, like Archimedes' mirror or something oh, like that? Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, the okay. heat ray thing, like well, you were the, talking about. Well, the
3: problem now, with Greek fire, as with any fire is your ship is just as flammable. I mean, there's so much tar being used to seal yeah. leaks and such that you got to be very careful. It's going to be very difficult to just burn the enemy. Hmm. Unless, of course, you've got something like the Greek with, uh, with the bronze uh, dragon heads. Yeah, right. On I the mean front, specifically with with uh, billows to spray because then you've got the metal mounting around it to theoretically prevent
0: it from setting your And feet. if you maybe if you treated your ship with a real heavy duty lacquer that is flame resistant, but even then, there's no guarantees.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and Greek fire, is... water tends to just spread it. So yeah, it exactly. sand or or urine to to
0: put it out. Pee. Okay. Yeah,
1: But
3: then again, here... Collected buckets for a battle. (laughs)
0: But but taking it to the next level, what kind of trumps all of this is, again, magic. You have the availability of of, of magic, uh, uh, of various spells that can counter this stuff or be used in ship-to-ship combat. So when you factor in the the AD&D magic system with ship-to-ship combat, you could almost have... A situation to where it is very similar to what you would have, what we'd think of ship to ship combat, because you might have magic users or other people with wands of fireballs and. Uh, well, that's why I
3: mentioned either breath, high magic or cannons, you. because you're right, like you say, with a, you know, if a high magic campaign, you've got wizards as regular crew on the ship with
0: fireballs, then yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it might as well be cannonades. Yeah, it it's, it puts it into a whole new dimension. But historically speaking, yeah, it, it was... Yeah, I mean, ship-to-ship combat, very rare, like you were saying. So.
1: so here's one for a question for you with high magic and ship-to-ship combat and things like that. Because I've definitely had players try this before and I didn't know what to do, really. Um, you're going to try to use a spell that affects a certain amount of water. And if they've got a high enough... Level to 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 make it enough, you know whether it's uh, freezing it or turning it into a gaseous form or just dispel water. Um, what do you do? Hmm. Depends on what they're do, you, trying to do with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just wondering. Have you run into situations where I was trying to look up the spell quickly? What I was thinking of that would freeze a large amount of water. I mean, dispel I, water. I've, is a- My
3: wife uh, once had her character use a co- uh, a wand of frost or Use a cone of cold, basically, to freeze the back ship. But, of course, ice is buoyant, too, so, you know, if you're trying to sink them, now you can freeze up their rudder or the oars to prevent Mm -hmm. them, perhaps,
1: from chasing you, but it's not going to sink it. Well, what about, um, okay, let's say create water, uh, if you can create enough of it inside the ship itself to change its buoyancy. Yeah, that could be a factor, definitely. Well, my Especially trouble is I don't know how th- ship buoyancy works. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know enough about it to to make a decision could, on the fly. If you could create enough
3: water inside to overload the bilges, yeah, mm-hmm. you could. I mean, oh, it sure. wouldn't completely sink, but basically it would ride very low. Capsize water, and you wouldn't be going anywhere
0: in it. Yeah, you could at least make the ship to the point to where it's it's going to capsize. And what, okay, what are bilges? Maneuver barrel.
3: Hmm? What are bilges? How does that work? Bilges are trenches inside the hold, which Mm -hmm. are basically cut there so that any leaks, the water collects into those areas. And it's kind of like, it's almost like a gutter on a roof. Yeah. Yeah. And But it's to compensate for small leaks and, you know, keep water from getting directly into the woodwork until you have a chance to get over there and get it. Yeah,
0: basically, it channels system. the water into an area to where it will not, hopefully, not affect Collect. the ship.
3: Yeah, cu- yeah, because yeah. it's spread out evenly because of the because of the railing. Right.
1: Oh, okay. I just found the spell I was thinking of. This is what it was. It was Adaluk's freezing sphere.
0: Oh, that's a nasty
1: one. Which <laughs> actually creates a globe of matter at. Absolute zero. Absolute zero, which, okay, back to the physics. <laughs> I, I think we even... talked about this once before. <laughs> Didn't we? I mean, yeah. just absolute zero can't even exist, but let's pretend it could. What do you do with the physics on that one when you put it next to a ship? Well, that wor- well It's magic. We're not we drag about around that. a black hole
3: and spheres of annihilation. Why not? Yeah, sure, what the heck. We'll let them exist for that
1: reason. <laughs> but what do you do with it? What, the freezing sphere or the... Well, I mean, if somebody – well, no, the freezing sphere. I mean, if you create a uh, sphere of absolute zero, um, I mean, I think that that could have some effects on the integrity of the hull itself, couldn't it? Sure. Oh, yeah. Well, if you hit absolute zero, then you're going to have matter shattering, particularly yeah. even wood. Yeah, and I mean, there's other spells that could have effects on a ship, like – I was just looking one up now – part water. Um, so if you part the water enough, it would be sort of like hitting a massive wave because the ship would drop – a certain yeah, amount. It would. So, mm. I don't know what the rules are around AD and D as far as what happens when you h- enter a, a huge storm and the ship starts getting tossed side to side. How does that mm. affect its hull points and things like that?
2: Or how about if you take an illusionist and get the illusion of the ship sinking?
1: Oh, oh, gee, yeah. Does everybody yeah, have to get the crew to leave?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You probably would do a massive save for people, but still, that's still many people jumping off the ship too.
3: Uh huh. So nothing work. else. It causes chaos because yeah. everybody's going. Well, it doesn't look like it's sinking, but yeah, do so I really ha- want to hang
0: around? Well, I guess this is like where we're getting into what spells would have odd effects uh, in a water combat or waterborne campaign. So, luckily, that, those are some good examples. That. One of the things <laughs> that I'm I disagree with in the DMG that says they would not function underwater is uh, animal sun- summoning. Mm-hmm. I think it would work. You would just summon aquatic animals. You <laughs> <laughs> would be like Aquaman, the lamest comic book hero ever. But <laughs> hey, he's
1: sensitive to that. Watch it, pal. I don't care. He's Aquaman. I don't know. Dude. I like the I like the, the hero Human Man from Tom the Dancing Human. Bug. Yes, oh, he has man. the speed of a single man. Nice. Anywho, but I just think animal there's
0: summoning. There's probably a would
1: reason work. animal summoning is, doesn't work other than just the fact that the animals aren't there. Well
0: oh, I'm sorry, there's no whales and fish and No, I don't know. I'm actually trying to
1: look it up right now and see if it makes no. any sense to me. I,
0: I, I would think it would work. I don't know why. I mean I would think it would work too, yeah. I mean whales well, and why yeah. couldn't you summon like a school of barracuda? You think
3: so. <laughs> well right? unless it specifically would, just summons mammals. Even then, you could get dolphins and whales, dolphins and whales, uh, seals,
1: uh, otters. I don't know. It's <laughs> annoying. It doesn't. I don't see what the material component is for it. It might just be one of those things where the the somatic. You could say that maybe the somatics are not as easy to do when you're underwater or something.
0: <laughs>
1: like that. Wow. <laughs> Well, definitely call woodland beings. I can understand why that one doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, that wouldn't work.
0: <laughs> mm.
1: uh, wall of fire—that makes yeah. sense. Um, I, was I don't know. Fireball curious. wouldn't work. Yeah, fireball. I mean, these are underwater, of course, not you know from from the surface. But um, lightning meteor bolt. swarm. What about lightning bolt
2: underwater?
0: Ugh. Lightning bolt. Oh, it does. There's. It, oh, it'll work <laughs> all right. It'll work. <laughs> but the problem is, it works as a fireball. Uh, and it discharges, takes the form of a two-inch radius sphere, so 20 feet, centering on the point where the stroke would originate, where the spell cast above water, where the cast spell above water. Hmm. So not good. No.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 my physics are pretty lousy, but I would assume that electrical conductivity dissipates underwater at a certain point. Otherwise, every time you dropped a toaster in the ocean, the whole place would go.
0: Seawater is an excellent conductor.
1: Yeah. Trust me on this.
0: (laughs) Luckily,
1: I've never tested that theory personally.
0: I don't want to know, Nick. (laughs) I was an electronics and electrical technician in the Navy, and that's just one of those things. Conductivity. uh, Now, pure water in itself is not a very conductor, but like seawater or lake water that's not filtered or anything like that is an excellent conductor of electricity because hmm. of all the impurities. Okay, cool. Like adventurers.
2: That too. <laughs> <laughs> so what other spells do we have that have some odd effects under war? You think?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I no. mean, the list, the list is in here. It's, it, Pirate anything, a lot of things to do with fire. Um, when you're talking about weather, it's a pretty common sense thing, except for you know what you just pointed out about animal summoning, which, um, like you said, you should be able to at least summon. Uh, what do you call those things? Whales, right? <laughs> Whales, so, yeah. Um, and speak with plants. You know, why wouldn't that work? Why can't you talk to the to the seaweed? Because I know
2: what is seaweed going to really
1: tell you. What's, well, what's a, a going good... to really tell you? Glub, Glub, oh. it's very wet down here. Right. <laughs> you know what? There's another good one. Um, Dragon Magazine uh, that I found, it was like 36, 32. Uh, there was a section in there on megaflora. And uh, the... Sounds like a transformer. Au- yeah, right? <laughs> the, the, the author came up with this idea for megaflora, which what? basically what? looked like underwater evergreen trees. And produce oxygen and create these sort of bubbles of air uh, near the edge, basically as a way to create some more opportunity for underwater adventuring for low-level characters. Um, and then what do you do when you're you know, in this big oxygen bubble and how that can affect uh, your health as you breathe pure oxygen and light a torch? Uh, but, yeah, so the megaflora are in issue 32, so that's a pretty interesting underwater plant that could that's help you There's a lot of aquatic monsters
3: in the monster manual that don't get much use. Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, we You're just don't about... spend enough time underwater. Hmm? You're talking about the water bubbles. I was thinking about those uh, aquatic spiders who actually make layers. They web up a air bubble.
1: Remind expensive. me where where are they at? I
3: I don't remember them. Oh, I don't. I don't know the page number. I just no. Know but the, I'm
1: just. Do you know
3: which book they're in? I'm going to try to look. Yeah, they're in Monster Manual. Oh, I just was looking the wrong place. Yeah,
2: there's so quite a few in there. Yeah.
3: Yeah, the Morcath. I've never actually used, but I always thought that would be kind of cool.
1: Ooh, I the deep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah! The great nests of air. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that, and
3: that immediately sprung to mind.
1: Yeah, I like that. You, I like all the, those opportunities to make places that the uh, uh, adventurers can have a little bit of survival underwater. Just enough to give them a slight bit of hope before you dash them. Right. <laughs> I just like the idea of the first adventurer to light his torch while in the air bubble. <laughs> We well, see that's when you use the freezing spear. Once it's sphere, once
3: it's settles, <laughs> yes. absolute zero, you don't have anything to worry about. Yeah, yeah you are fine at absolute zero. Oh yeah. <laughs> Jeez.
2: <laughs> so anyway, why don't we head over into uh creature feature theater?
1: Creature, creature, feature, feature, theater, theater.
2: All right, so we're in the Creature Feature Theater this week, and we have a monster from last week because we had a guest DM, Stephen, uh, how was that pronounced, Jason? McClanahan. McClanahan. And he gave us an interesting monster, to, monster that we had to fight the Adherer. All right, this is from the Folio on page 9, if you flip it open and take a look at it. Another comment I wanted to say about this, a lot of people have been saying that we get most of our monsters from Creature Feature from the Folio. Have you noticed the trend of that?
0: Interesting. Uh, Great source. Yeah. yeah, I think because they're just most unfamiliar to people.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. They said, other than me, because I got most of the ones I had from Monster Manual and, and uh, Oriental Adventure, that mostly everybody was using Fiend Folio.
1: I used the Lucrata. That was out of the Monster Manual. That's true, yeah. Well, we'll try to look for some more sources. I'll start digging through some of the uh, Dragon's Bestiaries from the magazine. Ooh,
0: good idea. Me too. I'll Monster start. Monster Manual doing that. 2. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. I like Monster Manual two, yeah.
1: I think it's a lot lamer than Folio. that's for sure. <laughs>
0: Monster Manual 2, Electric Boogaloo.
1: No. It's, re- oh. it's really the weakest of the three. I mean, it's still good, but, I mean. And I used to have the exact reverse
3: opinion when the books came out. I did not like Folio, but it's really grown on me over the years. I've always liked it, yeah.
1: No, I you know I agree, and it, honestly, it wasn't until we started doing the show, and I forget who it was that wrote in to defend the Fiend Folio, and I took another look and said he is right. Didn't, There's some good stuff in there. Didn't Todd yeah. write a big long article on the Fiend Folio? That's yeah, what, that's. That, but I mean, yeah. the Monster Manual 2 has an entire half page devoted to a cat.
0: Meow. Yeah. <laughs> the
2: house cat gets half a page. Hey, he's important. All right.
3: Ask house yeah. cats, they'll think they deserve a whole page. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, the adherer. Yes. <laughs> uh, Jason, what do you think overall of the monster, the adherer?
1: Oh, the adherer is great because it. it you, you start out and you you think it's a completely different thing, first of all, because it looks like a zombie, or, I you mean, know, a mummy. Um, and they're not that tough until you realize that they've got your sword. Give it back. Give it back. Yeah. Give my sword back. As no, they're, they're, they're frustrating. I love them. Yeah.
2: yeah. The ability to steal your weapon away as you try to attack and slash them. And I was really surprised at that at first. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, and then once we Nick's like, I know what it was. I
0: started getting an idea of what it was. And... Yeah. Like, this is one of those creatures I would like to use in conjunction with something else for some reason. Really? it, it just It just... It like seems mummies. like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mix them yeah. with some regular mummies and see what happens. You know?
1: Well, <laughs> I, I imagine that would them be really good. Well, especially if they bump into each other.
2: <laughs> Matt had a good one there. Producer Matt said, envisioning an unarmed Mike, uh, Mike, yeah. Sorry, Mike. Hey. An unarmed monk fighting in it here.
1: Oh. <laughs> or, that would be
2: tough. Yeah, that be a sticky situation. Boom, had to land that one.
1: Oh, uh. <laughs> I, I would expect the adherers to usually be uh, in some sort of spider-like situation because they're, they're, um, they're very, I don't know if they're related to spiders or spider-aligned, but I would expect them like in a temple of, you know, Lolf or whatever.
0: Mm, mm, that's a good point. I could see that
2: too. What about taking an adherer and an, an adherer that went through like a treasure room? Think about that. And he had all the gold attached to him.
3: That's- rolling through there. and
2: <laughs> Yeah, rolling through the treasure room and then having him come towards the players. I mean, wouldn't you want to, wouldn't that be a good idea to do that to taunt players for gold? It's a gold yeah. golem.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, the cool thing about the adherers is they can decide what they want to keep on and what they don't want to by the secretions of those fluids. So they could intentionally do it. Or just, it, it gives them a really good way to hide, to camouflage themselves in anything the way that Steven had them.
3: Hmm.
1: You know, in those things that looked like ghillie suits, but actually turned out to just be junk stuck all over them.
2: <laughs> I like the fact that they couldn't swim either, so I was happy about that. That's helpful. Yeah, they plummeted to their death in the water. And that fact that you threw those rocks on it with the knock spell, that was, that was really inventive. I like that
1: idea. Well, it was good of him for DMing to let that work, so... <laughs> That's, that's the thing. I, you know, I didn't know what a knock spell should really do, so well, that worked out. Like we always
2: say, I mean, if you find something inventive with a spell, I mean, and it surprises a DM,
1: I would do it. Well, I and mean, That's one of the prime reasons that I play tabletop RPGs rather than computer RPGs, because you can actually be inventive and try something out.
2: Yeah, and you taking a knock spell not knowing exactly how it should have been used and using it on those rocks was very inventive.
1: And to be honest, I would have had just as much fun if we had spent the next thirty minutes arguing about it. <laughs> <laughs> because you like
2: arguing things
1: like that. Well, that's you know that's part of the fun for me about the game or any of the games is that it's fun to sit down and try to figure, wait a minute. How would that work? You know, I, I, I like it. So yeah,
2: but I don't know. I, I don't want to sit there spending thirty minutes rationalizing how something works. Just do it.
1: No, but you got. But you got to admit that's a, for a lot of people. That's a big part of the fun is is. is the uh, trying to sort out the rules that aren't there.
2: I I don't know. I guess I'm more part of the uh, the odd the uh, rationale with Mike over there. But just go with it, man. Roll a dice. Go with it. The whole well, frank-
3: thing I tend to do is if the players go, well, how did they do that? They shouldn't be able to do that. Rather than try to rationalize that, I go, yes, that is odd, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and let them figure it out. I
2: like Frank Mentzer's idea. Just sit back, man. Roll a D six. <laughs> so that just do it that way. Anything else we could say about this creature, really?
1: Yeah, this stuff sticks to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, well. it was it was a lot of fun. They're great. They're great uh, monster to run up run up against. And I hope that we have more guest DMs coming on because that was a lot of fun. Stephen was really good.
2: Yeah, if you want to guest DM and you have a really good Skype connection and a good sound, quons, blah, 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 good quality of sound. A good um, Quonset yeah, hut. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Give us a, uh, an email at RFIStaff at gmail.com and write us in and tell us when we'll talk to you. Or hit us up on Facebook because we can always use that. Yep. And let's head into our last, uh, almost last segment of the night, Dragon Sword.
1: Dragon's Horde. Here we are in the Dragon's Horde, and this week we have the Robe of the Arch Magi. 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 Uh, yeah. Either way, it's pronounced the same way. Those guys. Yeah, those guys. So uh, this is a magic item that gives away a bit of its uh, identity at first glance by looking at the color. It's, this robe comes in colors. It comes in white gray and black, and those go with alignments. Can anybody guess which one is gray? Neutral? (laughs) Yes. Um, So first of all, I mean, I think that you should uh, be able to have these maybe come in some other colors so that experienced players don't just get it right away. Um, But it's a pretty um, great thing for a magic user certainly to get because it gives you an armor equal to armor class 5 right off the bat, Uh, 5% magic resistance, adds plus 1 to your saving throw, and when you cast uh, certain spells that are involved in controlling others, things like charm monster and hold person suggestion and such, uh, it reduces your opponent's magic resistance and or saving throws by 20%. So it makes it a lot easier to uh use some of those spells. <laughs>
2: you know what I like about it is that when you put it on it determines what color it should be so it can kind of trick like uh a wizard uh, a magic user to put it on and then mm-hmm. it'll be then you the dm is supposed to determine which one it is and if mm-hmm. he's evil and he gets a good one he takes damage for it
1: yeah that's the uh so if, if the evil wizard puts on the white robe or if the good wizard puts on the black one they'll get it's pretty amazing amount of 11 d4 plus 7 hit points of damage lose 18 to 51 thousand experience points yeah Um, and that's why I think maybe just going with the colors is a bit too much of a giveaway for something like that
2: well yeah but that's why they said it usually normally appears as white and then
1: does it say that? Yeah, normally. Oh, it does. Yeah. Color is not determinable until dawned. All right, I missed that part. Yeah. Okay, it, well, that's fine then.
2: It's normally um, used as, as white, and then once he puts it on, it'll go blink and change to the color that's supposed to be. Uh-huh. Kind of like a yes. trick. You
1: definitely want to use your identify spells before and putting... And th- ensues. <laughs> I, I think any player who... Uh, randomly starts putting having their character put things on every time he finds them will soon be very used to what it's like to roll up new characters so that's fine I've never, uh so me. yeah so it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a very useful robe if you get the right one for your alignment uh how would you guys use it as far as tricking. Where, when, when would you see it showing up in a campaign and when would you see some pcs coming across this particular treasure
2: uh, how about the big bad is wearing it? Yeah. And after you kill him, good point. Yeah, good point. <laughs> and after you kill him, you know you have those players that always loot the body. Why not loot his robes? <laughs> I mean.
1: So if the if the BBG is uh, or BBEG is uh, uh, wearing this black robe, that when you take it off of him, does it turn white again? I think it stay. I would I would rule it as it stays as black, so that it doesn't give away too much of its. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you that get makes that sense. that
2: magic music puts the robe on and then boom you roll it up and if it happens to stay his alignment he's fine but if it's not right. damage
0: time and experience point loss. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love that. Don't want to be too low of experience points putting that puppy on. Throwing it throwing
2: it back to you Jason, how would you use it or have it show up? Hmm.
1: I think I'd have it mixed in with some others. I think maybe one of those things that I – you know if if we're not just having it being taken off of the uh the bad guy himself, I like the idea of having it there amongst the robes and uh you know you're you you don't even basically once you've determined if anything's magical there's the magical one, you go in and get it um I think the thing about it is the alignment issue that's the most interesting to me because it really puts you in the uh, world of alignment as actual forces in your campaign as opposed to just, you know, going back to things we talked about before, the difference between alignment as just the way you act and alignment as some sort of overriding, you know, forces of good, forces of evil kind of thing. So if you're playing a campaign that doesn't do the big forces of good, forces of evil version of alignment, I think you'd probably leave this out of it, because one of the things about it is that.
0: Yeah. Mm. I I don't know. I I would play it like as far as where I would find this particular item. Yeah, the big bad guy at the end, maybe in a dragon's horde, some some big nasty creature. I think the
1: dragon would have flamed that thing. <laughs> he was. This is yeah, not gold. A magic item could have made it
0: saving throw. You never know. Maybe the dragon have. Maybe the dragon's so, wearing it. <laughs> dragon well, I don't know about. I don't know. I don't see that. No. Why does it have I mean, No
3: magic stuff is supposed to modify <laughs> itself to its wearer to a degree,
0: but <laughs> well, why does <laughs> it have That's to be a bit much? <laughs> why the does it have to be so mu- much? Why does it I have to pitch, be? I mean, this is definitely something that would be. You know. The the uh, a the very
1: fashionable <laughs> lich would wear or or vampire <laughs> yeah. So, I don't well, know. why the the thing I I haven't given enough thought to is why particularly is it the the controlling at type of spells that it gives so much assistance for? Things like haunt, you know charm and hold person and suggestion and those types of things. Because what would
0: scare more uh, a magic user more than having his body controlled by somebody else?
3: Or it's well, just no, I'm a saying that off the magic resistance.
1: Yeah, I'm saying when, when you're a magic user and you're using this this uh, this robe, those spells become more potent when you when you cast them. So there's some Ooh. backstory to this magic hmm. item as to, to why it's it's like that, and I'd I'd like to hear somebody come up with that.
2: There we go. We'll throw that out to you in the audience. If you know the backstory of the robes, let us know. Yeah. I'd like to hear about it. I know Jason would.
0: Oh, yeah. It makes it more potent. Okay, I see. I, I yeah, read, it's hard I yeah, when you first it. read it. I thought the the wearer gets a bonus to their saving throw or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what but, I
3: thought, too. But yeah, it's the first actually the it.
0: opposite. The, if you're casting those spells while wearing the robe, the, re, the the one who's getting nailed by that spell like friends, they get a negative on their saving throw.
1: Right. I get it. Okay. Yeah, at first I thought it just made you more susceptible to those things. And then what you said, that would scare you as a magic user being controlled by other people. But it is, it's is—it's one of those things where well, the sentence
0: isn't written. Right. Now clearly. it's the opposite. It's like being a wizard or a magic user, what's more powerful than manipulating others? Yeah. So maybe that kind of plays into it.
1: Yeah. So I, I would definitely keep – I was going to say I would keep this very rare, but not necessarily. I mean it's not like it has – uh, such unique powers that you should never have two robes of the magi. Magi, I can't still can't pronounce it. <laughs> you should still never have two robes of the magi in one so place. But uh, oh, Nick, <laughs> I, I'd keep it you know rare enough. So it's a good magic item. If anybody out there has used it in their campaign, please uh, go on the forums and tell us how you've done it, or leave us a comment, or send us a yeah. voicemail, or an email, or a airmail, or a Any kind of mail you want.
2: Pigeon carrier.
1: Yeah, give us a call. You know, all those things. Send it by Hippogriff. Please do that.
2: Attach it to your blunt weapon for your cleric.
3: Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Inside an Odeluk's freezing sphere
1: and then roll it. Mike <laughs> send send it in a send it in an absolute zero freezing sphere to two hundred East Tenth Street, number five eleven, New York, New York, one triple oh three. All right, so that'll that'll do it for the Dragons horde, and let's get out of here, Vince.
2: Let's end the show tonight on a happy note. We don't have any news or anything. Uh, no, I don't think so. Well,
1: um, just keep keep uh, tuned to this channel. For, I'll talk about some upcoming guests on Roll for Initiative. Uh, we're going to have Ethan Gilsdorf sometime in the near future. Mm-hmm. And also this month uh, we're going to be having um, – oh. ah, I forgot who else we're having. Larry Elmore. Larry That's Elmore. Right. Larry Elmore. Should How be in the el- next
0: couple of weeks oh. we'll be having an interview with Larry. Mm-hmm.
1: So if you have anything, if anybody has stuff they'd like to hear uh, Larry talk about, on the show. Um let us know and we'll make sure that that uh, we we bring those things up. Oh yeah, good idea on that.
3: Definitely. I do all his women have the same face. <laughs> we'll ask him that for you, Mike. Okay. I mean it's a nice face, Yeah. But it's always the same face.
2: Oh. Well, you can uh, check us out at com. You can email us at rfistaff.com. Uh <laughs> Oh, I did it again. RFI staff at gmail.com. See, Nick, you're it's rubbing catching. off. Yeah. five seven zero eight six five forty two ten. Or I'm not saying it the Jason way because I can't, I can't do that. not
1: do that.
2: And you can also listen to Mike on the Save or Die podcast every week at saverdie.info where the latest episode was an interview with Mike Carr from back in the day of TSR.
0: Oh wow, Mike. you got Mike? Yeah, mm-hmm. we spoke to him about uh,
2: B one and uh history of TSR and the housing projects, all those Yeah, he wrote uh the the B one module. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So I'll have to listen. So it was a great <laughs> little interview. Check check that out. And uh I think we're gonna I sign really. off for tonight. Yeah, thanks for inviting me over. Thank you, Mike. It's been fun. And we'll it's see... been swell. Jason will be on the next episode of Save or Die.
1: Yes. Being completely ignorant about all things O D and D,
3: be over on our stomping grounds. That's okay if you know one e. You've got about six. <laughs> I might drop of
0: over there sometime myself too. You never know. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I might come on over there. It sounds like a fun place. Sure, Nick, you're invited as well. And we
3: could talk about oh, Doctor. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Vince. You sounded oh. So can Vince we do the said. all
1: Doctor Who episode?
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, let's oh, just yeah, oh, my favorite
1: doctor. Yeah, actually, yeah. Tom Baker. Here we come. Oh, we no. had Don't we had my t- long scarf and floppy hat. <laughs> we had. Uh, you know, about- I've got a Tardis USB hub sitting right here. Really sweet. Sweet. <laughs> sweet. We had actually
2: talked about doing a side adventure on Save or Die about Doctor
3: Who, the bo- uh, RPG game. So the FASA game, yeah. Yeah. Except I, one uh, of us would actually have to run it or play. it. I have the game. <laughs> yeah, I we do too, have- but we've never played it. Oh, we'll have to do it then. Yeah. Maybe we could do that, an actual play or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, enough Doctor Who. Let's... Uh...
1: <laughs> is there really such a thing? As I, a no. I'm jumping in
2: my Bill and Ted time booth, and I'm getting out of here. Keep it original. <laughs> keep it old school. Good night, everybody.
0: Good night, everyone. Free ark oh. <laughs> Free arc. <laughs> <laughs> Roll for initiative.